So my kids absolutely love to scare each other. Um, they, they, they have like scaring battles all the time. Um, the, best, the best one I can remember recently was my five-year-old got my nine-year-old. It was great. You know, usually the nine-year-old's picking on the five-year-old. But we were staying at my in-law's house a while back, and um, all three kids had to share one room. So Kelly and I brought them into the room, and we had them all ready for bed and everything. And we got everybody in the right bed. And uh, as, as everyone's sitting there just quietly, we turn the lights off, and we're trying to get everybody to sleep. And, and we hadn't realized it, but Landon actually, my five-year-old, he snuck out of his bed, and he got underneath it, okay? And none of us knew. Like, so we're just sitting there waiting and, and, and trying to hope the kids will fall asleep. And then Cade, my nine-year-old, says, Landon. No, no response. And Landon is like nuts, man. If you could be calling him, you could tell him the house is on fire. You could tell him there's a tiger loose in the house and you're just silent because he's hiding, okay? And so he's hiding and again, Cade goes, Landon, 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 won't answer. So Cade like gets up out of his bed and I just happened to turn my, my light on my phone on quick enough to see this happen. Cade he went creeping over to the bed and Landon was so good, he even put his pillow under his blanket to make it look like he was laying there. And so Cade, my nine-year-old, goes creeping up. He's like, Landon. And Kate, uh, Landon comes flying out of the bottom, and Cade just tow- uh, cowered and went flying back into a pile on the floor. And we just all lost it. It was great. Now, I think the scaring battles are kind of my fault because when Cade was just like two years old, uh, me and him were home chilling, and Kelly was out and she was shopping, and, and I heard her come home. And so I said, Cade, let's get in the closet and scare the life out of mommy, you know? And so Cade and I got in the closet. We had a video camera because we wanted to be able to show mommy this back later. And so we're hiding in the closet, and Kelly comes in with the groceries, and we just, you know, push the door open. I think we used to say boogie boogie boo. That was like the big scary word, you know? And Kelly freaks out. There's bananas and apples flying everywhere, you know? And Cade and I are dying laughing, you know? And then this, this, this is my favorite. I still do this. So, so you can blame me for the scaring battles in our home. But I do this. Guys, if you want to have a good marriage one day, I'm telling you, this is a foundation. This is, this is a cornerstone of our marriage. So here's what you got to do, okay? You're, you're cuddling on the couch, okay? That's the first part, right? You're cuddling on the couch, maybe watching a chick flick. Not that I ever would admit to that, but, but, but you're cuddling on the couch, and just when you think your wife is relaxed and, and, and everything's at peace, right? I'm just, I'm just sitting there, and I just wait for the right moment, you know? And I'm just chilling, you know, I got my arm around her, whatever, and I'm just, ah! you know, you just jump, and I grab her arms, you know. Now, for the first five or six years, that worked. Now, I pretty much just get this, you know, I like just, just get the eye roll, and for really, you know, I, I do this too, sometimes, like, you know, I'm trying to, you know, help her fall asleep at night, I'm just rubbing her head real nice, you know, it's, just, it's terrible, it's terrible. You know, so I really, I enjoy the scary thing. My kids love it. They're always constantly trying to hide on each other, scare each other, sneak each other. They love these scaring battles. Now, here in this series, we've been talking about the idea that basically it feels like a different kind of battle is kind of going on in our world right now. And it feels like it's getting tougher and tougher in America to be a follower of Jesus. It kind of feels like there's a battle between our culture and our Christianity, okay? And let me just say this. I've been trying to be as clear as I possibly can on this, that we are not a militant people. This is not a political thing. This is not a power thing. This is not a control thing. We are not battling anybody. And actually, the last, the fifth part of this message series is going to talk a lot about that. We are not looking around saying we want to be at battle with culture. We want to be at war with culture or people who don't think like us. Okay, I'm going to talk a lot about that in week five, all right? But really what it feels like is in America, it feels like there are different things being battled about. 
okay, because of what we believe and what others may believe, you know? And so I think there are battles. It feels like we're battling over things like morality. It feels like we're battling over issues like abortion. It feels like we're battling over uh, do all roads lead to heaven or does only Jesus lead to heaven? It feels like we're battling over truth. Is there objective truth, solid truth you can sink your teeth into and it's the same for everybody? Uh, Or is there subjective truth? It's relative. It's just based on how I feel that day, okay? And so there's, it feels like there's these battles. It feels like in America, it's just getting tougher and tougher to be a follower of Jesus. You feel this in your schools. You feel this at your job. You feel this in your neighborhoods. You, you know, you just feel this all around. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'll just say this. We're so glad you're here tonight. And like I said, this is not about some kind of political control, power thing. You know, if you're thinking, what are these people doing? What are they thinking? Why are they even talking about this? It feels so awkward. I'll tell you this. The reason we're talking about this, the reason this matters for five weeks is because we want to say that God has changed our lives in such a powerful way. And we don't want it to stop with us. Like the reason your friend invited you tonight It's because God changed their life. God showed up in their life in a real way. And they want you to know the same God. And that's the same for us here. As we look around in America, we're not like, oh, we got to control America. This must be a Christian nation because it's this political thing that puts us at rest. No, we want people to know who Jesus is. And so that's what this is all about. Now, basically we've said this. Because of these kind of battles or these cultural wars or whatever you want to call them, There's kind of a few different options. And one of the options would be for us just to stop engaging culture, you know, to say, okay, well, if they don't want to believe like us, then forget them. We're not going to worry about them. They're not invited anymore. This would be just a Christian thing. And that's not what we're going to do. The other side of it would be we could water down our Christianity and say, we're only going to talk about the stuff that makes everybody happy. We're not going to talk about this or that. If anybody disagrees with us, then we'll, we'll just kind of, you know, let that thing not really be something we have to talk about or, or stand up for. Or we'll just kind of let that go. We'll just water everything down. We'll, we'll just say, you know, God, lo- God is love and we'll just leave it at that. And you know what? We're not going to do that either because that's not what God has for us. So here in this series, we're trying to say, okay, well, what do we do then? What do we do? And this is really hard and it's really difficult. And I would guess if you're a follower of Jesus, there's been times in your lives that you've kind of been scratching your head going, I don't really know how to move forward right now. You know, I had a conversation with somebody I really care for. They believe so different than me. I just, how do I continue to engage them and yet still believe in Jesus? I think there's lots of tough questions going on in our our own hearts right now and certainly in our world. So basically, here's what we've said so far. And and if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope you hear our heart in this. In week one, you know what we said? We said the thing we we gotta do is stop blaming everyone who doesn't think like us. And as Christians, we gotta look at our own hearts. We gotta look at ourselves and say, if God's going to do something in America, it's not going to be by us pointing at people who don't think like us and telling them that they're bad. No, it starts with us looking at our own hearts and saying, God, what in me is wrong? What do you have to do in my heart? That's where it starts. It starts with us getting serious about our relationship with God. So in week one, we said we got to humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face, and turn from our evil ways. And when I say we, I don't mean America. I mean Christians have to do that. Okay, then last week we said this, and this is big because we're going to jump off this tonight. Last week we said, when things get hard, when things get um, to the point where it feels like we should water down our faith and our Christianity, we came to this realization as we looked at scripture. And when the going gets tough, when we start getting challenged on this or that, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. We must stick with scripture. We must do what the Bible calls us to do. We must obey God rather than 
than men. Now tonight I want to kind of jump off that. Because my guess is if you were here last week and you heard that message and you know, I got toward the end and I kind of unveiled that idea of we must obey God rather than men. We got to stick, you know, stick to, to what God has called us to do and be. Some of you guys, I would guess, even if you're a strong follower of Jesus, maybe you kind of left thinking, all right, I heard what he said, but why is that true? Why is it so important that I obey God rather than men? Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus or maybe you're a new follower of Jesus and you're just thinking to yourself again, why do I have to obey God rather than men? Why is that so important? What is the big deal? What's at stake if I don't obey God? You know, because sometimes God just feels like he makes everything so black and white and it feels like in my life sometimes it's a little bit more gray. What do I do then? Like, like how, how come God gets to tell me, do this, don't do that? How come he gets to tell me, this is good, this is bad? How come he gets to tell me, go here, don't go there? What's that all about? Why, why can't I just kind of decide? Why can't I just kind of do what seems right to me? And it gets back to that whole idea of, a, of being a subjective thing, a relative thing. Like, all right, if it works for me, I'll do it. But if something else works for you, then you do it. You know, if Jesus works for me, then great. But if somebody else works for you, then, then go for it. Why can't it just be like that? Or if, if, you know, sleeping with my girlfriend works for me, but doesn't work for you, then all right, so we'll both go and just do our own thing then and not worry about what God has to say. Why can't that work? Well, tonight we're going to really see why that can't work. Tonight I really want to answer the question, why, why must we obey God rather than men? What happens if we don't? What happens to us personally and what happens to our culture if we decide that we get to kind of just start deciding what parts of the Bible we like and what parts of God's way we like and what parts we don't. Why is it so important that we stick to what God has said? And so we're going to look tonight at some verses. And these verses are shocking. I bet if you've read these verses before, you haven't fallen asleep. Sometimes you, you fall asleep when you read your Bible. You probably didn't fall asleep if you read these. I would guess many of us have never even read these verses. You, you would have thought this was more out of like a Gladiator Part 2 movie or something. Like the stuff we're going to read tonight is just so intense. And, and here's what happened. A, a, a few months ago, I was listening to a message by Andy Stanley, one of the pastors I like to listen to on the podcast. And he, he read these verses and they just stuck with me. And they shocked me and they amazed me. And when I got through that message and then, you know, several months later, here I am writing this message, those verses came back to my mind. And so I went back to scripture and I said, all right, I got to look at these verses for myself. I got to see what these say. I got to get them in me. I got to wrestle with them. I got to struggle with them because they're controversial and they're, they're tough. But I got to see what they have to say to me and then what then I can bring them to say for the people at the church. And so what we're going to do is, is look at some verses in the book of Judges. Now this is before Jesus ever came. This is before he walked on the earth and died and rose again. This is the Old Testament. And what I'm going to do tonight, because it's basically a story that spans four or five chapters, um, I'm going to read them all. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm going to basically narrate some of it, and then we're going to read some of it together on the screen, some of the more key verses. So we're going to look here in Judges, and there's this key verse, and I think it's so, so powerful, because it so powerfully addresses what we're talking about here and now. So Judges 17, verse 6 says this, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and look at this, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everybody just did what felt right. Everybody did what looked good. Everybody did 
what they felt good about, even if somebody else didn't feel good about it. Everybody did what felt good to them, even if God didn't feel good about it. In fact, God wasn't really much on their radar at this point. And so everybody was just doing what was right in their own eyes. Everything was subjective. Everything was relative to me and my circumstances and how I feel today. And so here in Judges 17, you see a story right after it, and it talks all about some people who go through some really hard things because they just kept on doing what was right in their own eyes. It's a powerful story. If you guys want to read it later, go for it. But I want to jump a little further to Judges chapter 19. I'm going to paraphrase for a while uh, and just summarize some of this for us because it's a lot that happens and I just want to get through it on time, all right? And so here's what we have here, and I need you to stick with me, all right? There's a Levite, okay? We don't know his name. We never find out his name, okay? There's a Levite, and he's traveling with his concubine. Now, a concubine is someone that you're not married to, but you have regular sex with, okay? So he's got a concubine with him. So, so here he is, the Levite, traveling with his concubine. They just left her parents' house, and they're headed back to where they live, okay? So the Levite and the concubine are on their way. Now, the reason this is, starts off kind of on a sad note is that a Levite should have never had a concubine, Okay? So he's already done what felt right in his own eyes. A Levite was set apart to be used for God. A Levite was supposed to be holy. A Levite was supposed to be pure. But I guess one day, like everybody else in that culture, the Levite decided to just do what seemed right in his own eyes. And so he takes a concubine. And so they're traveling. And they're traveling through the night and it's getting late. And they come across a man out in a field in a place called Gibeah. And he says, I will bring you to my house. Why don't you come stay at my house with me? And this man was actually a really kind man. He was very hospitable. He took care of them really, really well. And so they're sitting there in the house and suddenly they hear all kinds of noise outside the house. And from outside the house, they realize the house is surrounded. And so here's the Levite with his concubine in this old man's house from Gibeah. And as they're in there, suddenly the men outside the house start to yell at the people inside the house. And they start to say this, we know you have a stranger in there. We know you have a visitor. We want you to give him to us so that we can have sex with him. And so there's this yelling going back and forth, back and forth. And the owner of the house, this old man from Gibeah, yells back and he says, no, you can't have the visitor. Don't do this. Don't rape this man. This isn't right. Well, the men from Gibeah keep on yelling. We actually find out a little later it was some of the leaders of the town of Gibeah. And so they're yelling back into the house and the man inside the house you know, continues to say, no, no. And eventually, here's what he says. He says, I'm not gonna give you the Levite, but I will give you my virgin daughter and I will give you his concubine. You can have them. And so the men say, no, we want the man. We want him to come out. And so they keep going back and forth and back and forth. And eventually the Levite, listen to this, the Levite takes his own concubine and he throws her out the door to these men. We're told that all night these men rape this poor woman. She walks back to the house the next day as she collapses at the door. Inside it is the old man and the Levite. The Levite runs to the door. He opens up the door. He picks up his concubine, tries to wake her up, and she's dead. What do we have here? 
we have a little snapshot of what happens when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. You have a Levite saying, I should be a holy, pure man who lives for God. But I think it's right to take this woman and just have sex with her whenever I feel like it. And then you have the men of Gibeah saying, hey, we want to have sex with this man. Just seems right. Don't really care what anybody else has to say. And then you have the Levite inside the house saying, it seems right to avoid that. And so I'm going to throw out my concubine. And so then you have the men outside the house going, well, we didn't get the man like we wanted, but we have this woman. And it seems right to have our way with her, even if she dies. Do you see what happens? Do you see what happens when everyone does what seems what's right in their own eyes? Do you see how things digress? Do you see how they so quickly can progress? Now you may be saying, oh, come on, Doug. Like, we're not there. We're not living in that world. This is not who I would be. This is not who I'd ever become if we all just decided God wasn't real and I'm just gonna go do my own thing. You know, I guarantee you the Levite never thought he'd end up where he ended up. I'd, I'd bet you some of the men from Gibeah would be surprised to look at where they were at this time. Unfortunately, it's not over yet. It actually gets worse. In Judges 19, we're gonna read some of these verses together. These are crazy verses, highly offensive. I get it, I'm with you, but sometimes we need to be a little bit offended. Judges 19, verse 28 says this. Then he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, and taking a hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb, into 12 pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. This man, once once his concubine was dead, said, I'm gonna get everybody's attention. I'm gonna get everybody's attention. I'm gonna... I'm going to cut her up into pieces and send her to all the tribes of Israel. And let me help you just understand what this all kind of felt like. Okay, so kind of like America has all these states. Well, Israel had all these tribes. Okay? And one of the tribes was named Benjamin. And in Benjamin was Gibeah, the place that all this stuff happened. Okay? So you have America. You have all the states. And let's say New York, you have, say, Wisconsin. All right? So you have Israel, and you have Benjamin, and then you have Gibeah within Benjamin. And so all the other tribes get together besides Benjamin, and they've received these different parts of this woman's body, and they're saying, how did this happen? How could this have happened? How could people of Israel have gotten to a place where their hearts would be so evil to do such a thing? And so they get the Levite, and let's read in verse Uh, Chapter 20, verse four says this. And the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered them and said, I came to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine to spend the night. And the leaders of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house against me by night. They meant to kill me and they violated my concubine and she is dead. So I took hold of my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel for they've committed abomination and outrage in Israel. So Israel, hearing this, gathered their troops, and they went to the tribe of Benjamin. It'd be like everybody coming into New York. All the other states coming with their army to find out what happened. 
and they go to the tribe of Benjamin and they say, hey, this is what happened in Gibeah. Give us the men that did it. It'd be like the people going to the state of New York and saying, hey, this happened in Wisconsin. Give us the people that did this. And so the tribe of Benjamin says, no, we're not gonna give you those people. And so a civil war starts and Israel is now battling against its own. It would be like all the states coming against New York because of what happened in Wisconsin. And so there's this war, there's this battle because everyone was doing what seemed right in their own eyes. A few days later, tens of thousands of Israelites are dead. Gibeah and Benjamin are burned and gone. You're thinking, man, I'm glad I came to church tonight. (laughs) What an awesome, uplifting message. I'm glad I invited my friend, right? (laughs) You know what? This is what happens when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Unfortunately, we're not even done yet. Israelites, after this is done, after the Benjamites and the Gibeah, after Benjamin and Gibeah are destroyed, the Israelites, they're all together and they start thinking, you know, we feel bad for some of the people from Benjamin that survived. You see what happened was about 400 people that were, were fighting in the war from Benjamin, uh, they took off. They, they, they just ran from the battle and they survived, 400 men. And so the Israelites are thinking about those 400 men, they start feeling bad for them. They just wiped out all their people. They wiped out their, you know, their entire families and, and burned their homes and everything, and suddenly they're feeling bad for them. And they, they say, you know what? These poor 400 men don't have wives now. What are we gonna do? How could we get them wives? Now listen to this train of thought. This is so messed up. You ready? They think to themselves, wait a minute. When we went to war against them, there was an entire area that didn't come and fight with us against them. Okay, so the Israelites are thinking, we went to attack Benjamin. This whole part of Israel didn't come with us. And so what we should do is let's go kill all them now and let's take the virgins and give those to the men of Benjamin. So because these people didn't fight with them against these people, they're now gonna go kill these people because they feel bad for these people now and they're gonna give them uh, them their, their virgins. And so they go ahead and they do that and they wipe out all the people who are not virgins and they give the virgins to the Benjamite men that survive and they realize they don't have enough. And so they realize there's another place called Shiloh and they say, you know what, let's go to Shiloh and basically let's, let's, let's just kidnap a bunch of virgins and we'll give them to Benjamin. And so now they go off and they do that. They get the wives, they give them to the men from, Benjamite, uh, from the tribe of Benjamin and there they are. And so you got kidnapping, murder, rape, forced marriage, all because everyone was doing what seemed right in their own eyes. Everything was subjective. Everything was relative. There was no pulse, you know? There was no moral pulse. There was no worry about what anybody thought or any standard or what God thought. I mean, just think about it. How many times throughout the process, if someone had just stopped and asked God, what should I do right now? If the Levite had just stopped, if maybe the man from Gibeah had stopped, if, if certainly the nation of Israel had stopped, if, if the tribe of Benjamin had stopped and just sought God and said, God, what's your way? After the war, 
If the Israelite tribes had, instead of going and slaughtering a bunch of other people and giving those virgins to this tribe now, if they had just stopped and said, God, what do you have for us? What, what, what's your standard? What's good to you? What seems pure to you? What seems right to you? But instead, what happens? They do what seems right in their own eyes and everything gets broken. Now, isn't it true in your life? Because I know it's true in mine. Then when I stop looking to God and I just do what seems right in my own eyes, it's very quickly a really bad day. Very quickly, things get broken. Very quickly, things that I love and care about start to fall apart. Very quickly, things that once were good get brought down and destroyed. Because God loves us. Because when God says, this is good, and this is bad. He's not doing it. Like I've said a billion times from this stage to ruin your life or your fun, but he's there to preserve you. He's trying to protect you from brokenness. He's trying to protect me from those bad choices and those bad decisions. But when everyone does what's right in their own eyes, I can guarantee you brokenness. Now, some of you guys are objecting and you're thinking, you know, this is why I don't like the Bible because of a story like that. I mean, that's messed up. I don't like God because of a story like that. Well, let me help you out with this, okay? You see, what you have in the Bible are different kinds of stories, okay? You have prescriptive stories and descriptive stories. A prescriptive story is when the story is something that you should do. It's like when a doctor prescribes you medicine, says, hey, this will be good for you. In the Bible, sometimes you get a story, it's prescriptive. You read it and it's going, this, is, this would be good for you. Follow this guy's example. Follow Peter's example. Or follow Paul's example. Or follow Jesus' example. That's prescriptive. But then you have descriptive stories. And descriptive stories simply describe an event that took place. And the reason they're in the Bible is so we'll learn from them and we won't make the same mistake. I tell my kids descriptive stories about me all the time so they won't do the things I've done. You know, I've told my kids how I rode my big wheel down a flight of stairs, right? I just rode that down. It was just a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm getting better. But, but I told when I was two, man, I jumped on my big wheel. My parents, this is a true story. My parents had it all set up. We were going to Sears. This is what you used to do back in the day. You get all dressed up and you go to Sears and they take your family portrait and right before the family portrait, no joke, five minutes before we're supposed to leave, I went evil Knievel on the big wheel and down a flight of stairs. And I've told my kids that over and over again, not because I want them to do it, because I want them not to do it. I've told them about times I burned my hands or I did just stupid things so that they won't make the same mistake. And what God is doing here is not prescribing that we rape and we murder, and we cut people into pieces, and we have civil wars, what God is doing is he's describing what happens when people do what is right in their own eyes. When they take their eyes off of him. When a nation takes its eyes off of him. When, Jesus, when, when God's people, when his church takes their eyes off of him and starts looking at what God's word may say. and saying, well, I don't know if that feels right anymore. That was 2,000 years ago, man. That was, that was 5,000 years ago that was written. I mean, come on, are we really still gonna live that way? I can just tell you, and I'm not a fortune teller. I'm not a prophet, but I can just tell you, 
that the more the church, Jesus followers, Jesus people, take our eyes off of him, the more we subject ourselves to what feels right in our own eyes, the more broken we and our church and our nation will become. God put this in here to show us that. God warned us. God has it in here because he loves us. And in the same way, I try to warn my kids. I think God's trying to warn you and I tonight. Say, don't do what seems right in your own eyes. I mean, again, take, take 30 seconds to think back to the last time you did that. The last time you knowingly looked at what God had and then what you knew to be right in your own eyes and you went with you. How did that work? How did that go for you? What was the result? I can pretty much guarantee it was broken. And so why must we obey God rather than men? Why? Why does God get to tell us what to do? Why are God's ways right? Why is it a good thing for me to not just do what feels right in my own eyes, but to do what God is telling me to do, even if it's not at all what I'm feeling or what I think is right? Why does that matter? It's because obeying God, obeying God rather than men will preserve us, will protect us from the brokenness of doing what seems right in our own eyes. I would really encourage you to write that down. I encourage you to write that down. Take out your phone, type it up, whatever you gotta do. Just have it with you. Obeying God rather than men protects us from the brokenness that comes from doing what is right in our own eyes. You ever hear, just follow your heart, right? I mean, how many, I actually think I heard that the other day. I was just walking from my living room to my kitchen and something was up on the TV and I heard one of the characters go, just follow your heart. Like that was the advice, you know? You know what the Bible tells us about our heart? That our heart is deceitfully wicked. Deceitful. You know what it means to be deceitful? It means you lie. It means our hearts lie to us. And when we try to do what seems right in our own eyes or in our own, our own heart, we're gonna get tricked over and over again. That's why we need to say, okay, I'm gonna obey you rather than men. I think I said this last week, when, when you're obeying God rather than men, that includes you because you're, you're a man or a woman. So when you obey God rather than men, you're obeying God rather than you too, aren't you? Some of you guys might be kind of objecting, going, Doug, I'll tell you, man, this stuff just gets me upset because, Doug, what you're doing tonight is you're pointing your fingers at a few little things that you don't struggle with. And you're saying that God is right because you don't struggle with those things. You're looking at a, a certain few little things and you're making them their own category and you're saying, this isn't right and that's not right. And, and that's okay for you, Doug, because you don't struggle with those things. You're not tempted to do those things maybe. And so you're, you're, you can look at God's way and say it's good and it, it works. But you call my way broken. Well, here's what I gotta tell you. I'm tempted to do things all the time that God says are broken. There are things that I'm drawn to that God says, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't walk down that road. I'm not standing here pointing out all the things I don't struggle with. I'm pointing out all the things we all struggle with and saying that we've got to do it God's way. We submit those areas of our lives to God and we say, God, help me. If God wants you to do the right thing, he's gonna empower you to do the right thing. And then listen, this is so important. Along with submitting those areas of my life to God and asking him for strength, 
I also then ask him for forgiveness when I screw it up and don't get it right. And that forgiveness is there. And that forgiveness is there because there's a savior who loves you and took your place on a cross so that he could forgive you and rescue you when you do mess it up. And so I don't know if you're a follower of Jesus tonight or you're far from being a follower of Jesus. I don't know if you're angry at this message tonight. That's okay. It's offensive stuff. I don't know if you're newer to the faith, you're trying to figure out what you believe, how seriously do I take the Bible, how seriously do I take God's word, how seriously do I take God, but I'm telling you tonight, and we can look at history thousands of years ago, I think we can look at our history from this past week, your own life, and I think that you could see that when you and I do it our way, we get broken, but when we do it God's way, even though it's hard, and even though we don't always get it right, there's a satisfaction and a joy, and a peace. There's several reasons we should do it God's way. I could do like a three or four week series on why do it God's way. But for tonight and for this series, I think when we talk about the scope of things, as we look at our culture and our nation and our world, I think that we gotta answer it like this. And when we obey God rather than man, it protects us from the brokenness that comes from trying to do what's right in our own eyes. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this descriptive story in the Bible. We thank you that it's there to warn us and protect us. God, it's not easy. It's hard stuff to talk about. But God, we just thank you that you included it and you know we needed it. And so I just pray for all of our hearts tonight, God. As we love America, as we love the people that live around us, we love the people who think differently than us. We love people who would say there are multiple roads to heaven. We love people who have gotten abortions. We love people who are living different lives than we may choose to or think that you're saying to. This is not some unloving, cold-hearted, finger-pointing way of living. But God, we love you. And we know you love all those people. And so God, we're living in this tension and it's hard and it's confusing. But we thank you, God, that you haven't called us to stop engaging people. You haven't called us to to, to think that the culture is too far, that there's no hope. We thank you instead, God, you've called us to love and you've called us to point people to Jesus and you've called us, the church, to do what God calls us to rather than men. So I pray you would help us. I pray that you would give us all that we need. If you're a follower of Jesus, Would you just ask God to give you what you need, whatever that might be, courage, boldness, understanding, insight, wisdom, conviction, truth, self-control, whatever it might be, to do things his way. And if there are things today that you know you've messed up, would you just ask him for that forgiveness? It's there, it's there. If you're a follower of Jesus, submit those areas of your life that you're struggling with. Submit those areas where you're doing it your way instead of his. And ask him for forgiveness. And ask him to empower you to do the right thing. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I talked about the fact that when I screw up, I can go to my God for forgiveness. I can look to Jesus and ask him to cleanse me and remove the stain of my sin. 
because I sin. I am a Christian. I've been a Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 36 this week. You know what? I've been a Christian for most of those years of my life, and I still sin. I still get stuff wrong. I still look at God's way, and there are times I choose to not do it. And I need his forgiveness daily. And you have a God that loves you. And you have a God that wants you like you are tonight, right now. He's not saying, you know what, go clean up your life and come back and act like a Christian and then I'll take you. He wants you like you are right now. And he'll begin to give you the grace to do things his way, little by little. And so if you want a relationship with this God, I would encourage you to pray something like this. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for loving me and forgiving me. Help me to see how real you are. And I thank you for your incredible gift of love and salvation. Your name I pray. Amen. I just want to encourage you guys. Um, this is a hard series. Um, it's going to get easier. And we're not done yet. Some of you guys might feel like, yeah, but what about this and what about that? And I'm happy to talk with you guys. If you have questions or comments or whatever, you disagree with me, that's cool, man. I'm, I would love to talk. But there's two more weeks to go. And... Um, it's going to be much more encouraging than it was tonight. And some of you maybe have been leaving here going, okay, Doug, sounds great. Obey God rather than men. I am scared to death to do that. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to stand up for Jesus right now. I'm petrified. I'm terrified. Um, I'm confused. I don't know how to stand for what God stands for and yet still be loving. I don't know how to do that. And so the next two weeks, we're going to talk about those things. And so hang in there. Stick with me, and I believe that God can really use us to bring the change he wants to in this culture.